You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. We're going to be talking today about the gift of healing. And again, it comes from a course that I studied at the Master Seminary called Evaluating Continuationism. And it was taught by uh, one of the staff members there, by Nathan Butznik, and uh, one wonderful teacher, did a wonderful job putting together uh, everything for us all to, to glean from. And so I hope that you will and have enjoyed uh, this series. We, again, we're, we're in our fourth week, our fourth session. We began, if you recall, by by dealing with uh, the the two topics, cessationism versus continuationism. Continuationism, or the continuationist, hold to the idea that the apostles, uh, prophets, uh, tongues, and healings are all still available today. And what we're arguing is that those of the New Testament uh, prophets, apostles, tongues, and healings have ceased with the last apostle. And so we've talked about that. And if you haven't had the chance to look and to view the first three sessions, I would highly encourage you to do that. But today, nevertheless, we're going to jump in into our fourth session, which brings us uh, to the gift or gifts of healing. And for the sake of time, we'll go into great uh, we won't go into great depth on a lot of these things, but nevertheless, um, it's uh, it, it'll be deep enough, I can promise you. Um, but nevertheless, continuationists, of course, remain convinced that the gifts of miraculous healings are still available to the church today. And so we're going to argue that this is not the case, that something has changed. and. Um, and we're going to discuss that together. Because when you compare the healing ministry of Christ and the apostles to the ministry of modern healers, we quickly find, once again, that modern healing simply do not measure up to the biblical reality. So let me demonstrate this um, by by quickly articulating five characteristics of biblical healing. Um, first, the New Testament healings do not depend on the recipient's faith. Um, there's a lot of confusion in our day to this. Uh, I remember I was pastoring a church in, in Montana and one of my members was a man who was crippled. And though he learned how to walk with some support on both uh, sides um, and braces, nevertheless, he was pretty much paralyzed from the waist down. And so there were some charismatic healers that came into the church one day and 
told him that if he had enough faith that God would heal him. And the fact that he didn't have the faith was the reason he was still paralyzed. Um, unlike charismatic faith healers who make the promise of healing conditional on the sick person's faith and that their healings performed by Jesus and the apostles, listen, were not dependent on such prerequisition. It isn't always the case, if you want to argue, there were some elements and aspects by which Christ gave orders to do something and then they were healed. But nevertheless, there are many examples that we could that could be used to make the point. And so let me mention a few. Do you remember in John chapter 11? Turn in your Bible, if you will. I, I want to look at some of these in, in Scripture because, again, we want to define things based upon what they look like and how they work in Scripture. In John chapter 11, we find the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And so we come to this section when Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha, in verse 24, she reminded Jesus, yes, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will will live even if he dies. So she said, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God. The son of God, even he who comes into the world. So they begin the process. Jesus comes and heals Lazarus. So Jesus in verse 35, we are told when they when the when they came and they were upset, Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him, but some of them could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying. And now they begin to question, doubting Jesus. And so Jesus, de being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and the stone was laying up against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. Now the King James Version, I believe, says he stinketh. He's dead. Not only is he dead, he's been dead for four days. And, and, and the deterioration process has begun to take place within and has his body has now begun to stink. And then Jesus tells her, remove the stone. He raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, 
But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they that they may believe you sent me. They didn't believe, guys. There was there wasn't a, 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 a big whim of faith that that drove this man to be healed. A matter of fact, Lazarus is dead. He he has no ability to have faith within himself. He's he's killed over. He he's dead. He's rotting. And he cries out with a loud voice in verse 43, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face wrapped around in cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. So not all the healing Jesus performed, all the apostles performed were dependent on any level of great faith. You see, that's an excuse of why you, the charismatic, who believes you have the gift of healing, can't heal. Got to have an escape, don't we? It wasn't the case for Jesus. It wasn't the case for the apostles. You see Jairus' daughter in Matthew 9. You see the widow's son in Luke 7. We're all dead and incapable of displaying faith. Yet God miraculously, through the power of his deity, heals the, 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 the demoniacs of Matthew 8, 28 to 29. In Mark 1, 23 to 26. Listen, they cannot reasonably have had faith before being healed. We talked about it last week when, when Jesus went across the, the Sea of Galilee to the Gerasenes and, the, and there was a demon-possessed man controlled by the demons. God healed him immediately. It wasn't a, wasn't a level of faith that got him healed. It was God's power of healing. Christ and his pure ability to completely heal immediately without even them having faith the lame man healed at the pool of bethesda in john 5 1 to 16 you remember that jesus shows up and the man says what prevents you from me well i can't get in the water when when the when the angel stirs it I, 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 somebody gets in first jesus heals them take up your mat and walk he didn't even know who jesus was until later Throughout the Gospels, on many occasions, listen, Jesus healed multitudes, even though not everyone believed. In Acts, we see the similar things as the apostles healing the lame man without demanding faith in Acts 3, 7. As well as delivering the girl from demons in Acts 16, 18. And even raising the dead again. Dead people can't ex exemplify faith. None of these miracles which demanded faith from their recipient. And so the reality is, is there's that continual ideal 
But the New Testament healings did not depend on the recipient's faith. And then when we come to the second one, we see the New Testament healings were complete. They were permanent. They were 100% effective. And we know we don't see that a lot in our day. The narrative of, of the Gospels and Acts is clear that healings of Christ and, and the apostles, listen, were complete. They were permanent and successful. Jesus healed real diseases, not psychomatic ones. He cleansed lepers. He gave sight to the blind, made crippled men walk, and raised the dead. For example, in Matthew 14, 36, those who touched the hem of Christ's garments were made perfectly well. Moreover, Christ heals lepers. In Matthew 8, 2 and 3, Mark 1, 40 and 42, Luke 5, 12 to 13, Luke 17, 1 to 21. So Christ healed lepers whose healing had been completely in order to pass inspection of the priest. They were healed completely. Wasn't this partial healing? Wasn't my big toe was hurting and now it's not hurting and tomorrow, oh, it's hurting again. And I had a momentary healing. Oh, my back was healed. Oh, I got healed. I felt this warmth come through my body and I was healed. And then now a month later, my back's hurting again. The fact there is no record of any New Testament healing that was not ultimately complete and successful. Not only did Christ have 100% success in his healing ministry, but so did the apostles in the book of Acts. Number three, New Testament healings were undeniable. Wasn't this trickery where the, somebody made their foot grow? The healing miracles of Jesus and the apostles could not be denied. Even the enemy of Jesus could not deny it. The unbelieving Pharisees, listen, they didn't deny Jesus' power. They simply distorted the truth in order to cast dispersion on the source of his power. For example, in John 11, 47 and 48, Christ raised Lazarus and everyone, including his enemies, what? Denied it? No, they stood amazed, astounded, unable to deny or discredit the miracles. The man had been dead for four days and now is walking. Acts 4, 16 and 17, after Peter healed the lame beggar in Acts 3, 1 to 10, the Sanhedrin was unable to deny that such a miracle occurred. In Acts 16, when Christ cast out the demons of the slave girl in Philippi, her angry owners did not deny what had happened. Rather, they dragged Paul before the city magistrates 
and had him thrown in jail. The fourth thing we see is in the New Testament healings where they were instantaneous. Another common characteristics of healing ministries of Christ and the apostles was that healing, the healing, their healings were instantaneous. There was no period of recovery or re repercussion necessary. One such example is found in Mark 1, 42. Whereas soon as Christ had spoken immediately, the, leper, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Listen, although no exception to this rule occurred in the book of Acts, there are a couple of possible exceptions in the Gospels, namely three. These are found in Mark 8, 22 to 26, where a blind man is healed, but he's healed in two stages. In Luke 17, 11 and 9, where, where the 10 lepers are cleansed while on the way to see the priest. And in John 9, 1 to 7, where the blind man is healed after washing in the pool of Siloam. Remember, he put mud on his eyes. He goes, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes and you'll be healed. And he did. But those delays were a matter of only a short time and not the norm. And in keeping with Jesus' purpose for those specific healings. It, it, Jesus' miracles were always a miracle with a message. It wasn't about the miracle. It was a miracle that drove those folks to salvation in Christ. They're all miracles with a message. The message of salvation. Not the message of, of popularity or the most views on YouTube or, or on Telegram. But no, it was, a, it was a miracle with a message. These were not delayed over days, weeks, but in a matter of moments. And so thus, an overall examination of New Testament healings, will show them to be immediate. Fifthly, New Testament healings were not prearranged. So another important characteristic of miracles of Christ and the apostles is that they were not prearranged. but rather were done in the normal course of ministry. And there are, of course, many passages that illustrate that principle. And the question then arises, is that kind of healing ministry still happening today? The answer is an obvious no. Here is the thing evangelical continuationists, those who believe the, the gifts are still ongoing, openly acknowledge that fact. So how do that, again, every time we come, there seems to be this two-tiered system. You have the biblical picture, and then you have the modern charismatic picture. 
in the continuationist or, or have to some way clarify why things are different. John Piper, for an example, notes the uniqueness of Jesus's healing ministry when he says, it seems to me both biblically and experientially that there was an extraordinary outcropping of supernatural blessing surrounding the incarnation, which has not been duplicated at any point in history. Nobody has ever healed like Jesus healed. They never failed. He did it perfectly. He raised people from the dead. He touched and all the sores went away. He never blew it. That was in an interview with David Sterling, a conversation with John Piper, the briefing. Cessationist would certainly agree. The healing ministry of Christ, by extension, the apostles, was extraordinary. The, the, the fact that the miracles of the first century have not been duplicated at any point in history is precisely the case that cessationism is trying to make. The charismatic authors Paul Stephen and Michael Green similarly acknowledge that modern-day healings don't match up with the healings of Christ's ministry. Paul Stevens and Michael Green, Jesus had no failure rate, he, no revisions afterwards. All Christian healers experienced both. His healing seemed to have been complete and instantaneous, apart from two recorded incidences where there was short delay in renewed ministry before the cure was complete. Healings by the church are not like that, unfortunately. Often there is a delay. Often there is failure. So how then do continuationists defend the modern gift of imperfect, incomplete, and failed healings? First, they distant modern healing from the example of the apostles. In doing so, they appeal to arguments from silence to support their contemporary practice. It was Jack Deere, who we've quoted throughout this process, who is uh, a continuationist. He says this, it is wrong to insist that the apostolic ministry of signs and wonders is the standard for gifts of healing given to the average New Testament Christian. We have vivid descriptions of apostles' ministries in signs and wonders, but apart from the ministry of the apostles, there are few, if any, descriptions of the average Christian who had healing gifts or examples of how the miraculous gifts operated in the local church. It is simply not reasonable to insist that all miraculous spiritual gifts equal those of the apostles 
in their intensity or strength in order to be perceived as the legitimate gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Let that one sink in for a minute. So, so we're expected to believe that some um, lesser uh, gift be deemed biblical? Wow. Hey, 718, we don't allow links, buddy. That's why it keeps deleting you. Sorry. Um, secondly, they redefine healing so that it not need bear any resemblance to the miraculous healings of Jesus and the apostles. In the New Testament, miraculous healings was for the instantaneous, complete, and undeniable curing of organic diseases. For most continuationists, the gift of healing is consistent and consists of praying for those who are sick and then waiting on to see how God will answer that prayer. So Sam Storm says, when asked to pray for the sick, people are often heard to respond, I can't, I don't have the gift of healing. But if my reading of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 is correct, there is no such thing as the gift of healing. Especially if it is envisioned as a God-given ability to heal everyone of every disease on every occasion. Rather, the Spirit sovereignly distributes a charisma of healing for a particular occasion. Even though previous prayers of physical restoration under similar circumstances may not have been answered. And even though subsequent prayers for the same afflictions may not be answered. In some, gift of healings are occasional and subject to the sovereign purposes of God. So, by redefining gifts of healing as the ability to see someone occasionally, eventually recovering from illness as a result of answered prayer, continuationists have created a paradigm that allows for many failed healings so common in the contemporary charismatic world. But again, this modern version bears no resemblance to the healing ministry of Jesus Christ and his apostles. R.D. Turnbull said this, the healing of the New Testaments were of a different order from contemporary practice. They were sudden, dramatic, extraordinary. They involved raising from the dead, restoring sight, curing lameness, and so on. The outcomes were easily verified, both medically and experientially. The one who was blind could now see. Sometimes the practice involved symbolic actions alongside. Although some charismatic and Pentecostal Christians make similar claims, mainstream evangelical spirituality, including charismatic evangelicals who advocate and practice healing ministry, would advise prudence in any direct association between the apostolic healings and the contemporary practice. 
So evangelical continuationists generally distant themselves from mainstream charismatic faith healers. And that's a good thing. But they are essentially reduced the gift of healing to an answered prayer. A person with the gift of faith prays for the sick person and God answers that prayer in accordance to his will. Well, cessationists, that would be me, those who believe those gifts have ceased, also believe in praying for the sick. And we would also agree that God is a God that answers prayer. The cessationists would never deny the reality that we should ask and seek God in prayer. He tells us everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, the cessationist believes in praying for the sick. We just agree that God answers prayer and so how he deems. And when God does indeed do a work, he does it in his own will and in his own way. And, and that is extraordinary. But praying for God to heal and then waiting for days and weeks to see how he's going to answer that prayer is not how the New Testament describes the miraculous healings. That is certainly not the way in which the healing ministry of Christ and the apostles are portrayed. And that, again, speaks to the point we are attempting to make today. By their own admission, as as all of the others in regards to the apostles, in, in regards to the prophecies, in regards to the tongue, the continuationists recognize that there are things happening in the first century that are not happening today. The miracles of Christ and the apostles were unique and they are unrepeatable. And in other words, they ceased. Thus you have cessationism. And so that brings us to an important concluding question. From a continuationist perspective, what exactly has continued? In regards to apostleship, most continuation acknowledge that apostleship has ceased. Some maintain that although the 12 and, the, and Paul were unique, there are still apostles today in the form of what? Church planters and missionaries. So call them church planters and missionaries. Stop calling people apostles and confusing people. If you're a church planter, you're a church planter. If you're a missionary, you're a missionary. Something's changed. The apostles that once existed no longer exist today, they ceased. Prophecy. What is continued? Well, the evangelical continuationists contend that there are two tiers of prophecy. Again, here we find this two-tier system, one of the Bible and one of today. Old Testament apostolic prophecy, which was infallible and authoritative, and the New Testament congregational prophecy that is often erroneous and never authoritative. 
And Grudem equates this second type of process prophecy to spirit-led advice. Something's changed, folks. Something has ceased. Prophecy doesn't exist as it did under the apostolic authority of those who spoke the very literal word of God, which we have written and form in the Bible. People want new revelation. Why don't we just spend time in the revelation that's been given us, the word of God, for it is complete, it's sufficient. So from the continuation, what has actually continued in regards to not only apostleship, prophets, and tongues? How about tongues? Well, the continuation is similarly argue, again, there were two types of tongues, one of the scriptures and one of today. There were the tongue of Acts 2 that consisted of authentic foreign languages previously unlearned by the speaker. So if you were to go to China in English and you were to speak, those folks would understand you in their native tongue. That's a miracle. And then there is this modern day, another type of tongue that consisted of something other than a human language, a private prayer language that is a linguistical, nonsensical reality. And then you have healing. As we've looked at today, continuationists admit that the healing ministries of Christ and the apostles were unique and unrepeatable. The quality of their New Testament miracles should not be used as a standard for measuring modern gifts of healing. In order to get around failed healings, continuationists have redefined the gift of healings as occasionally in its ability to see someone recover over time as a result of answered prayer. So you can see the continuationist position bring about two tiers for each one of these gifts. And as we've seen, they acknowledge either explicitly or inexplicitly that the gifts that they identify as a one-tier gift in those that have ceased. They were unique only to the apostolic age. So if you want to call yourself a continuationist, go ahead. But just make sure you understand what it is you are saying that has continued. What you're saying that has continued is not the apostolic ministry, no church planters and missionaries. You are also saying that you... You don't have the ability to, to speak prophecy, but you're given some erroneous spiritual advice. And in tongues, you're speaking gibberish. And for healing, you're praying for the sick. Those are really the miraculous gifts that, that the continuationists are claiming. Now, is that the miraculous gifts of the New Testament? Of course not. Listen, the true extraordinary gifts, things like receiving authority and error-free revelation from God, that was the apostles, that was the apostolic ministry with apostolic authority, or, or speaking fluently in a foreign language you've never learned before, or instructing the lame man to get up and walk in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Those are the phenomena that, that we see when we read the Bible. Those were undeniable miracles, miraculous miracles. Don't be fooled by these television people, these YouTube fames. Continuationism and their version of the gifts simply don't match up to what we see in the Bible. Wayne Grudem, another objection, he says, to the continuation of miracles today is to say that the alleged miracles today are not like the miracles in Scripture because they are far weaker and often partially effective. And he, and he says, in response to this objection, we must ask whether it really matters, whether the miracles today are exactly as powerful as those that occurred at the time of the New Testament. Are you kidding me, Wayne Grudem? That comes from his systematic theology book in page uh, 1045. Listen, my contention with this statement is it does matter. It matters if you're on the healing side of it, doesn't it? It matters a whole lot. If modern miracles don't measure up to the biblical prerequisite, in what way can they still be considered miracles at all? Charlatans, my friends. Who want to get into your pocketbook? Who want you? Who want to draw crowds? The Benny Hens. Well, you know what? I ain't buying it. Do I believe that God can heal? Of course, I'm praying for people right now that God, by His grace, would heal them. What is God's business? I don't have the gift of healing. He's called me to pray and to trust His will. It's it's it is admissions like that that lead me to come back and go against the contrary. I believe the proponents of continuationism as Nathan Butznick has entitled this series that they are truly, the cessationists of today are truly Closet cessationist. They say something's changed. It's different. It is not the same. Something's changed. It ceased. Let me close with a quote from a cessationist author, Thomas Edgar. And he reads in his book, Satisfied, on page 31 and 32 Modern charismatics no longer argue for the gifts that were exhibited in the book of Acts by the apostles. They, they do maintain, however, that the Holy Spirit distributed gifts among believers of the early church. But these gifts were not the same level in quality as those of the apostles. They were the same as the charismatic gifts Today, such as gifts of healings that often fail. Jack Deere spends much time arguing that charismatics do not claim to have gifts like the apostles. They claim to have fallible or lesser gifts. 
He states that he does not see anyone performing miracles, such as those in the apostles' ministry. In other words, responsible charismatics are conceding that the apostolic gifts and the power exhibited in the book of Acts did indeed cease with the apostolic age and are not seen today. They have conceded the basic cessationist argument. Most cessationists are unaware that charismatics have done this. In effect, they've conceded these cessationist arguments. Many charismatics probably do not realize what these responsible charismatics are actually doing to their beliefs. Grudem complains that cessationists are arguing against the apostolic quality gift, such as infallible prophecy, which no reasonable charismatic believes are available today. The theory of lesser quality or defective gifts not only serves to explain why the charismatic gifts today do not meet the standards of those of the New Testament, but it also helps to overcome the historical problem. Clearly, the gifts mentioned in the books of Acts did not continue. However, there is more possibility for them to claim that defective gifts such as those in the charismatic movement did occur in history. The charismatic movement gained credence. Now, this is important and initial acceptance by claiming that their gifts were the same as those in Acts. So, so, so the whole movement, the whole charismatic movement was built. Their foundation was built that these were indeed the same credible gifts of apostolic authority, prophecy, accurate, 100%. Tongues, they pure language in which they could understand and healings with power and wonders. That's how it was started. That's the foundation for which is built. And now today, they're claiming it is not so. For most people, this is why they are credible today. Yet now one of the primary defenses is the claim that they are not the same. Faced with the facts, they have had to revoke the very foundation of their original reason for existence. Listen. The gifts have ceased. Doesn't mean God can't heal. Doesn't mean that God doesn't speak. He speaks to us through his living and active word. Hebrews chapter 1 reminds us of that truth, uh, that, that God does indeed still speak. When he says in Hebrews chapter 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And that's why Jesus says, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is true. Well, you want to hear from God, open your Bible and read it. 
If you want a miracle, ask God for it and trust that God and his sovereign ability and his sovereign will can do as he pleases. But we are not defined by our circumstances. We can be overcome with the reality that we can't cure cancer, but glory be to God, even still, that we know that one day we will no longer have cancer, but in Christ we will live for eternity. Our hope is eternal life, not to be healed in our current circumstances. Some of the most powerful Christians in our day are those who are suffering from an ailment in which they, in the midst of it, give glory to God. And that's why James says that we are to consider it joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's the deal. I want to argue this morning that you should consider these realities. And I would say you should pursue being a cessationist because even the continuationists who are legitimate and honest are closet cessationists. They know that something has ceased and that's all we're saying is that it is not the same. Things have changed. Well, that's all we have on this session today. I pray that you found it encouraging. I, I pray you found it uh, enlightening. And that, uh, again, thank you for joining us on Getting in the Word. And we were so delighted to have you.